Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life He gives. Well, today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. And Lent, of course, is the 40 days leading up to Easter. It's actually 46 days because there are six Sundays during Lent. And the, the reason Sundays are excluded from the 40 days of Lent is because they're, they're supposed to be little Easters. They're supposed to be these feast days, um, celebratory days, where we gather with our Christian brothers and sisters for worship and for celebration. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, nobody told me I get cheat days for Lent. <laughs> that is because Abby and Ian are terrible pastors. They want you to suffer and struggle through 46 days and tell you it's 40, but it's 46. Well, the reason that we engage Lent is, is not to struggle or, or suffer for the sake of suffering. The reason we engage Lent is to help us to approach the cross and to prepare our hearts for, for celebrating the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so Lent is this season on the church calendar where we focus on repentance, we focus on confession, we, we focus on fasting and prayer and serving the poor. Now, these are all things we're supposed to do regularly as Christ followers. But what Lent is, is it's a season where we emphasize these things, where it prepares us to come to the cross, right, which is what our Good Friday service will be about, so that we can, we can prepare our hearts for celebrating resurrection. And so in today's Lent sermon... We're going to be looking at a part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And in this letter, he challenges the Philippian Christians to not get caught up playing the game of self-justification and self-righteousness. And by self-justification and self-righteousness, of course, I mean the game that we all participate in where we compare ourselves right, where we measure up other people, where we justify certain attitudes and behaviors and actions that we participate in. It's when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And the problem, of course, with self-justification, the problem, of course, with self-righteousness is that it's self-deceiving. It, it tricks us into judging other people by their worst moments and judging ourselves by our best intentions, right? That's what self-righteousness is. When we can judge other people by their very worst moments, and then we judge ourselves by our best intentions. And so in the passage we're going to read, the Apostle Paul contrasts our self-righteousness with the righteousness that Christ gives. And so I'm going to invite Kristen Trocchio up. He's going to read our passage for us today. The passage is Philippians chapter 3. Verse 4 through 14. I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. 
I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So this passage that we just read, it begins with the Apostle Paul depicting his life as a ledger or as a balance sheet. What he does here is he starts by listing all of his credentials and accomplishments. He lists his, his pedigree and his performance, and he's using it as a measure stick to measure himself by. In verse 5 and 6, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That's his way of saying I was crushing this thing from when I was born. <laughs> when I was a baby, I had this down. I was getting it right. He, he says, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He's saying, you want to talk about status and heritage? I had that in spades. He goes on to say, I was a member of the Pharisees, demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul's saying this, that my ledger and balance sheet were impeccable. No one measured up. I was impressive. I played the measure up game better than anyone. And, and you know what I mean by the measure up game, right? It's something that we all do. We also have a ledger it doesn't look like Paul's, but we have one. And our ledger looks different than his, but we pull it out whenever we want to measure ourselves or, or measure up other people with it. We pull it out when we say things like, well, your childhood was nothing like mine. Or, or we pull it, the ledger out when we say something like, I'm a hard worker and I've earned everything that I have. Or when we say, I have issues, but not as bad as so-and-so. 
right? Or, or we pull out our ledger and we say, how could you act that way? What is wrong with you? What are we doing? We're pulling out our ledger, our balance sheet. When we say, I can't learn anything from this person, we're pulling out our ledger. See, these are the things we say. Um, I remember several years ago, our family was going through some family counseling. We had some dysfunctional relationship in our family. And I was particularly frustrated with parenting. My wife, Michelle, and I, she's not here. They're in Maine today for my daughter's basketball tournament. But my, my wife, Michelle, and I weren't seeing eye to eye on how do we parent our kids? How do we discipline them? How do we work with them? And then our kids were interacting with one another in, in ways that, that were dysfunctional and, and to us. So we went to family counseling. And I remember sitting in the room with the family counselor and, you know, there were times when he would have just Michelle and I in the room and the kids would go off or times he'd just have the kids. But then there was times when he'd have all of us in the room. And, and I remember there were times when he would talk to me and ask me questions. And I felt like, no, 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 you don't get it. You see all these other people in the room? They need the fixing. I am here so that they get counseled. I'm a pastor. I have things pretty much figured out. Uh, but could you just please spend this hour, we only have an hour, could you please talk to them because I've got my list of things that, that I want you to say. So it's things that I want you to say, but in your voice. And so if you could just... <clears throat> and I remember this one time, because um, what was happening is, as a parent, I was being incredibly frustrated because I would see a behavior in my 12-year-old or my 13-year-old, or my 8-year-old. I have four kids. And I would see a behavior in them, and what I would do is I would project that behavior when they become 20 and 25. And I saw a behavior, an immature childish behavior, or a, you know, a tantrum, and be like, oh, no, that's not going to go well, because when they're 20, they're going to wrap a, a, a car around a telephone pole. And I was always projecting. So the counselor one day, he says, he says to me, Adam, why do you think it is that when it comes to your kids, you're always projecting their future? And then he said this to me. Are you the same person you were when you were 12? And it's like the light went off. Like I had a revelation like, whoa, I am a self-righteous, smug person. Because I'm the problem. Right? I, the reason for a lot of the dysfunction is because I was projecting these behaviors of them as children and, and being anxious and frightened and worried and frustrated that if, if this doesn't get solved right now, by the time they're adults, I'll have failed as a parent and, and my kids won't be doing well. And it, when he said those words, it's like something went off, like a light went on. And there was a revelation of like, I need to let my kids be kids. They're going to mature. They're going to grow. And it changed the whole parenting dynamic. See, here's the thing about self-righteousness and self-justification. We usually don't see it without a revelation. And the Apostle Paul had one of those. The Apostle Paul, um, at one point in his life, he was traveling to Damascus to arrest Christians. And... He had an interaction with Jesus. Jesus speaks to him, and he says these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, he wouldn't have viewed it that way. He would have viewed it as, I'm, I'm a righteous Jewish Pharisee, 
and I'm going to make sure that everything's being done right. And so he was persecuting Christians. But Jesus comes and gives him a revelation and says, you think you're justified in your actions. You think you're being righteous, but you're not. And that encounter with Jesus flips Paul's ledger upside down. All the things he, 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 he counted as important, being a Pharisee, being zealous, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, being circumcised on the eighth day, he, he realizes after that encounter with Jesus, like, whoa, that completely radically changes things. Look what he says in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because, what of, Christ, because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Now, that word garbage in the Greek is the Greek word skubalon. Can you say that with me? Skubalon. Everybody say it one more time. Okay, so that's a Greek, that's a, that's a cuss word. So I just made you swear in church. And you're like, how could you do that? You're a pastor. <laughs> in the original Greek, skubalon had two meanings. The first meaning is foul-smelling street garbage that was thrown out for dogs to forage through. Now, I have a picture of my dog to show you. His name's Bandit. And Bandit is a forager through garbage as well. We have this little garbage can in our bathroom. And from time to time, we'll hear it click against the ceramic floor. And we know Bandit is rummaging through the trash. So we go in there. And all you have to do is say, Bandit. And he puts his little head down. Because he knows he's not supposed to. But then he gives you this look. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Look at that. <laughs> Let me tell you the other meaning for scubalon. Now, this word is only used one time in the entire New Testament. It's never used again. Paul uses it one time right here. And the other meaning for the Greek word skubalon is excrement. So if we were using skubalon today, like Paul did in this letter, if we were using it, we would say something like, I'm up skubalon creek without a paddle. <laughs> right? We, we would say, that's a crock of skubalon. <laughs> but Paul uses this word one time because he wants to shock his readers with disgust. He's saying this. Before I met Christ, I had this perfect ledger, all the good deeds, all the good works. Man, I was the best. Nobody played the game like me. Nobody measured up to me. I measured myself, and I was awesome. But when I met Jesus, when I met Christ, all of that stuff is like a steaming pile of scubalon. And he wants his readers to be shocked, like, whoa, what did you just say? He wants them to be disgusted because everything on his ledger that he used to justify himself, to feel righteous about, he's saying it, it, it's nothing now. The ledger got flipped on its head. I've stopped trying to convince myself of my own righteousness. And instead, I'm, I'm banking everything on the righteousness that Jesus offers me. See, here's, here's the thing. We'll never be able to create a winning balance sheet. If, if we try, we're going to fail because it's a game you can't win. You, you can't say, oh, I've done all of these good things, and that just cancels out all my sin and disobedience to God because that's not how it works. We convince ourselves that's how it works. 
But it's not how it works. It's a game that can't be won because good deeds and good works can't cancel out sin. Pastor Rich Velotis, he pastors a church called New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York. He says this about this topic. Sin is not just something we do, but a power we are under. Education, good policies, and spiritual disciplines are critically important, but cannot deliver us from sin's grip. The antidote for sin is found in a power outside of ourselves, the cross of Christ. Right? What he's saying here is we'll never have a ledger good enough to make us righteous, to be in right standing with God and with each other, no matter how good we are. Which is, which is why Paul says that knowing Christ, knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection is the only thing he cares about. Stop trying to be impressive. He renounces his former advantages. He trades it all in for the righteousness that Jesus offers. In other words, he transfers his faith. He was putting his faith in his pedigree, in his performance, and he realized it's scubalon. So I'm going to transfer my faith in myself and all these things, these good things that I do to convince myself of my righteousness. I'm going to transfer my faith in that over to Jesus. See, here's the thing. Whether we're religious or not, all of us live by faith. It doesn't matter if you're agnostic, an atheist, a Christian. It doesn't matter. Every single human being lives by faith. They live by faith because we all trust in someone or in something to lead us to the life that we ache for. We all trust in someone or in something to lead us to that life that we're hungering for, that we're yearning for, and that's called faith. So the question really is, isn't do we have faith? We all do. The question is, what are we putting our faith in? Right? See, faith is never lost. It's, it's only transferred. So maybe you had your faith in a person, and that person let you down. You didn't lose faith in that person. You just simply transfer it to something else. Let's say you have faith in Jesus, and you go through some difficult times. You didn't lose faith in Jesus. You just transferred it to something else. Faith, faith is never lost. We just transfer it. And what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage is, I used to have faith in myself in my own righteousness, my good works, my pedigree, my performance, my achievements, my accomplishments. But then I had a revelation of who Jesus was. And I realized that all of this stuff that I'm putting my faith in, it's scubal on. It's a heaping, steaming pile of it. And so I'm transferring my faith from this over to Jesus and the righteousness that he offers me through the forgiveness of the cross, through the power of his resurrection, I'm, not, I'm done playing the game of measuring up, of measuring everyone else up. Um, look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, that this transfer of faith to Jesus, wanting to know Christ. It involves a two-sided reality. It involves both suffering and resurrection. Paul is saying, I'm here for it. I'm here for both those things. 
Like, if this is how I identify with Christ in his suffering and in his resurrection, sign me up for both of them. Not because suffering's enjoyable, but because it gives new perspective, right? It allows us to, to throw ourselves into the present with holy abandon. Now, that's not to say that we look for it. Paul isn't saying, oh, yeah, we should look for suffering. Not, he's not you know, in a masochistic way saying everyone should just look to suffer. But he's saying this, when it comes, we take it in step. We take suffering in step because it's an opportunity to identify with Christ. It's an opportunity to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow Jesus for the benefit of others. And so Paul says this, I've transferred my faith. I've traded in my way for Jesus' way. I'll take the suffering and the resurrection. Because compared to Jesus, everything else is scubalon. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, it's, it's important to, to note here what Paul is saying. He's saying this, even though I'm no longer keeping a ledger, I'm not getting spiritually lazy. He's not, saying, he's not saying, well, since the righteousness of Jesus is enough, I guess it doesn't matter how I live. You know, I don't have to love my neighbor. I don't have to love God. I don't have to try to live righteously. He's not saying that, right? He simply stopped relying on his own self-righteousness to balance his ledger. And, and instead of using his good works as a measuring stick, his good works become a response become a response to who Jesus is, to his love, his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness. And so he goes on to say, here's what I do now. I, I forget the past. I look forward to what lies ahead, the heavenly prize, the day when, when God finishes what he started in me and in the world. And see, So here's what I want to do to end um, my sermon today. Um, I have something to give you. Um, if you are a dog owner, you know what this is. All right, this is a, a doggy poop bag. We're going to call it the Scubalon bag. <laughs> and here's what I want to do. I want to give you all one of these. And I want you to put it somewhere for the last two weeks of Lent. I want you to put it somewhere where you'll see it. So it can be a visible reminder not to try to beef up your ledger to feel self-righteous, but to trust in Christ's righteousness. And your good works just are a response to his love, to his grace, to his forgiveness. And everything else belongs in one of these. I'm telling you, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm using mine for. Um, I'm using it as a, a bookmark in my Bible. So every time I open up the Bible to read it, I, I see, I'll see it and, and remind myself, oh, yeah, I don't have to beef up my ledger. I just have to trust in Christ, what he did for me on the cross, and his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. And, and any good deeds I do today are not going to be to try to feel self-righteous. 
It's going to be response to what he's provided to me, his righteousness. Maybe you can put it um, in your cup holder in your car. Maybe you can tape it to your fridge. That's kind of gross, but I think it would start some great conversation. You have some friends over for dinner. Why is there a dog poop bag taped to your fridge? And you can tell them, oh, that's to remind me that all my self-righteous efforts are scubalongs. Okay. <laughs> but that could start some amazing conversation. So here's what I want to do. Um, I got some rolls. And just, I want you to tear one of these off and put it in your pocket, take it home, put it someplace visible um, until you all have one. And, um, here, Jordan. Oh, <laughs> sorry, dude. Sorry, dude. I got it. One more in the back. Who's, who, 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 who's brave? There you go, Charlie. <laughs> awesome. So I want you to grab one of those, rip it off, hand it off. And I'm going to pray for us while you're doing that, while you're grabbing your scoop along bag. We'll invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. But let me pray for us. Um, God, as we're ripping our dog bags and shoving them in our pockets, God, I pray that this little silly, tangible bags that we're bringing home would be a visible reminder of the righteousness we have in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to depend on if we're a good person. We don't have to try to beef up our ledger and convince ourselves that, that we're better than others and that we're okay with God because of our good works. But we can know for sure fully that if we trust in the cross of Jesus, if we put our trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross and raising from the dead and defeating and conquering sin and death, if we identify with Christ, that our good deeds and good works can be a response to that and not something we have to use to measure ourselves or other people with. So God, I pray for my, my friends, my, my Christian brothers and sisters, for those who maybe uh, don't identify as a Christian today, they're here with us, that, but, but are, are, are curious, are, are looking, are searching. God, I, would you reveal yourself to us all like you did to Saul on the road to Damascus? Because we can't see our own self-righteousness. We can't see our own self-justification unless you show it to us. So we pray you do that this week. Um, and Lord, we, we promise to do our best to listen to everything you want, your Spirit wants to say to us. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.